Wadaalan, everyone, and welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars that, by the way, is Arabic for goodbye for now in honor of our last race of the season. Uh, not our rest, last podcast of the season. We will get to that later. I am Drew Scanlon. Joining me, Danny O'Dwyer. How are you, Danny? I'm doing great. I'm recording this from, well, yeah, I guess I'm recording this from uh, the new Noclip studio, uh, which has been infested by ants. So I don't know oh. what's going on, but we have lots of ants on this table. I went to Ike Sandwiches. They gave me a lollipop. I left it on this table overnight, and the ants have claimed the studio. Uh, speaking of sweet things, also joining us, Rob Zachney. How are you, Rob? Well, doing better than Danny, clearly. <laughs> How's your ant situation? It's, I mean, it, it's been raining, right? This, this is what happens. The rain happens. All the little insects scutter inside to get all cozy. Surely you're in like bomb cyclone land over there, right? Yeah, no, I don't have to worry about any ants right now. I do have to worry about birds flying in the window um, oh. to, to get warm, but, that, but uh, that's easily remedied. I could use some birds uh, in here. Birds that like to eat ants. <laughs> Speaking of uh, bomb cyclones and being in cars for a while, I drove up uh, to my grandma's house uh, for Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah. And they closed I-5. No. While I was still on it. Oh, no. I spent 20 hours stuck in the snow and slept in the car. You're kidding me. Yeah. I... What? It's just people should know that before each podcast, we thought talk for like forty five minutes about the podcast and about what we're doing <laughs> and all that sort of stuff. The fact that you managed to keep this for pod is just a, a testament I, to your it, hosting <laughs> skills. Drew. I just I just remembered it while we were talking about when you mentioned bomb cyclones because the weather rolled in and uh, a bunch of big rigs skidded off the road and uh, stuck us all behind them. That's you were so wait were you in like a like were you alone on i five or were you like trapped with tons of people in cars? Uh, tons of people around us. Oh, oh my so you God. totally had like an apocalypse type situation. Oh, yeah. Just, like, we like shared people. food and water. Oh, my uh, God. Going to the bathroom is really interesting because there are people all around. <laughs> you have to wait until nightfall. Okay. Um, <laughs> Can we just, I mean, not, not, to, I don't want to bury the, you know, to get ahead of ourselves about how maybe passable and boring this race was, but can we just talk about <laughs> this for the next hour instead? <laughs> sure. We were trying to conserve battery life on our phones. How many of you were uh, in the car? Uh, four of us. Oh my God. That's not even that. That's like, was that good though? Because you retained more heat in the car as a result? Uh, I would have preferred fewer so that I could stretch out more. Right. Could you go, how Um, cold was it outside, like directly outside the car? It wasn't actually that cold. It was probably in the twenties. Okay. Um, Fahrenheit. So I don't know, minus a couple in Celsius. Right. Um, Not that but cold. it was blizzarding outside, so you couldn't go outside for for very long and oh, like man. stretch your legs because it would it was just snowing sideways at you. Did you know you were heading into a blizzard? Or yes, but the problem was like we we could have gotten through it if not for the big rigs yeah, jackknifing in front right. of us. So like the the snow itself was not actually that bad, and we had four wheel drive, um, and we actually passed chain control, and we were like. Uh, we told them four wheel drive and they said, yeah, all good. Uh, but they, they closed the road after we had gotten through chain control. Oh, that's awful. And what day was this? Like before Thanksgiving or after? This was Tuesday. So on the way to, so you still made it for Thanksgiving? Yes. Wow. Yeah. But we, we didn't know whether we would have to turn around because there were, you know, there was two more hours to drive 
after that. <laughs> oh, no. And they may have closed those roads. Uh, CHP and Caltrans, we called, the, like we found their numbers for each district and we called them and they had no information for us at all. We just kind of had to wow. sit and wait. So you were still in California because you were going up, up north, right? Yeah. Yeah. Still in California. Wow. So... How much in the holiday spirit was your party by the time you finally arrived? I tell you what, um, after we got out, first of all, once we, they were digging out cars ahead of us one by one, because once we got stuck, it snowed a whole bunch. And then people who hadn't put chains on couldn't get out. And so Caltrans was digging out cars one at a time. That's why it took so long to get to us. Um, But once we were dug out, uh, actually, we didn't need it, but the cars in front of us were dug out. When we left, it felt like the end of the movie Argo when you're yeah. on the plane, but still in Iranian airspace. Like you think you're going to get turned around or stopped or something. We're like, can we can we actually go? It was like that sort of um, uh, Stockholm syndrome feeling. Oh my god! But we finally we got going and we went to a diner, and yeah. that uh, was one of the best meals of my life. Also, wow. one of the best bathrooms of my life. That's absolutely insane. Yeah, it was nuts. See, that's miserable. But the problem is, or the cool thing is, in five, ten years, that's going to be one of the best Thanksgiving stories you're going to have for your life. Like, Yeah. You know, and it wasn't, it was really, it was like a bad camping trip. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was hard to sleep, not only because it was like sleeping on an airplane, Oh, um, yeah. but also because it was super cold, especially your feet would get really cold, but we were able to start the car every hour or so and run it for 10 minutes and warm it back up. Uh, that did burn a lot of fuel though. Uh, thankfully we had refilled before we got there. So I imagine there are probably other people who didn't have that luxury uh, and didn't have, we met one lady who went down South for a dentist appointment and then was stuck on her way back. Didn't have anything in her car. Oh my God. So we were loaded with Thanksgiving snacks. So uh, we were able to share with her. This is like, have you ever played The Long Dark? Yeah. 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 That's, that, <laughs> it's good because you were prepared then for what, what befell your family. That's absolutely insane. What was the, what was the, what was the worst part? What was like the h- most difficult part of the whole thing? Um, the Yeti like, attack. <laughs> <laughs> when it was like 11 p.m. and we realized we were going to stay there overnight. Right. Like the, the mental preparation for that, like, oh, this is, this is just going to suck. This is going to suck. Did you sleep well? Like, because presumably you weren't turning on the car to get warmer at that stage. Uh, I mean, we, we, during the night we did. Um, wow. Yeah. So I don't really know. It's kind of like, again, when you're on an airplane, you think you kind of slept, but you're not really yeah. sure. Yeah. Jeez. Uh, yeah. We're glad to have you here. We lived. You did. Uh, speaking of cars and danger, if you're new to this podcast, Welcome. <laughs> Uh, it's the end of the season. If you're new to Formula One itself, though, we recommend listening to, uh, first our preseason primer episode at the beginning of this year. And then we still recommend that at this point. It's like no better time. There isn't. It assumes no prior F1 knowledge. So if you heard about, Hey, you know, end of the season, maybe a bunch of news stories are kicking up about Formula One and, oh, 2019's done. Maybe I should get into that and you Wait, find so, this podcast so when, and go back d- to the preseason do we, do we literally not retire this until we do the next preseason podcast? Exactly, <laughs> okay. Danny. You never know when someone's going to find the podcast and just click on the most recent one. Uh, this year's primer, last the 2019 primer, is episode 59. Uh, but we are honestly closer to the next primer than we are to that one. So We are. End of February. Um, we got the date in. 
That's right. Uh, uh, February, yes. Uh, also, this show is supported entirely by our audience over at patreon.com slash shift F1 every month, uh, including the months that we will be in the off season. Uh, we release at least one bonus podcast and bonus video exclu- exclusively for our patrons. Uh, that covers racing documentaries and films, F1 video games, primers for other racing series, and a lot of weird stuff. So if you want to support the show and get access to all of that, head over to patreon.com slash shift F1 or click the link in the show notes. Uh, what's uh, What's been going on over there, Danny? Uh, our Formula E primer has been very popular. We actually got a couple of emails about it today, so we'll cool. just got to touch on a little bit. Uh, we've I think it. we nailed that, by the way. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, it was exhaustive. It was it was, it was was entertaining throughout Um but it, it ended up being like an hour and 40 minutes, I think. Exhaustive is it? a good word, Danny. That's, that's <laughs> oh, you yeah. selling it. <laughs> How do you a- really feel, feel Dan, Danny? <laughs> I thought you were making a joke about it not having an exhaust, actually, when you said oh, that. Oh, that's very good. <laughs> yeah. Um, we've, uh, we'll have an F1 game history up this month. And, of course, we will have this month's uh, Patreon-only podcast up. Uh, I think it's going to go up Christmas Day. We're try- still trying to figure out exactly what this one will be. Uh, but we have a bunch of ideas for the ones we're going to do during the off season and uh yeah we think uh since uh 2020 is an election year the january patron only one we're gonna put up for a vote so expect that one uh in a, in a couple of weeks too because we're a couple of weeks away from 2020 would you believe yes uh today however we will be discussing the final race of 2019 uh that which took place in abu dhabi abu dhabi do uh-huh um uh, practice wise uh, not a lot going on. Well, Vettel spun and hit the wall at turn 19, a portent of things to come. Yeah. Ricardo lost an engine. Grosjean and Botas collided, uh, in which Botas was issued a reprimand for that. But it also dis- destroyed Grosjean's only new specification floor, which was a real oh, bummer. Oh, you're kidding. Um, that car is cursed. It, it really is. I- I'll bet those guys cannot... Uh, wait to get the season uh, behind them one of the most worrying things i saw in one of the i think they did one of those uh is it always the last race of the season where they do the press conference with all the managers or is it they did a fun one this time around and i was uh it was i think it was williams and it was haas were both talking about how their car was kind of like a stepping stone car for next year's as well and i was thinking oh god <laughs> please if nothing else please give those poor haas boys some new uh some new engines and new wheels next year yeah. Uh, speaking of new engines, Botas starting at the back of the grid for power unit changes. Yeah. Um, got some qualifying notes here. Vettel, again, an unforced spin at the final turn to start his hot lap. Uh, very embarrassing. Yeah. I heard somebody say, boy, that's like a Formula 4 mistake. Or a Roman Grosjean mistake. Somebody, there was a video recently that went up with Grosjean's eight worst mistakes, which really was a, a fun journey through... Uh, through his um, most notable <laughs> memories, maybe, his in the sport. Hits. Yeah, greatest hits. Yeah, exactly. Uh, also, Russell in Q1 out-qualifies Kubica 21 for 21 on the year, uh, just like Alonso and Van Dorn. Yeah. Guess how many points he's got, though. That's true. Uh, but guess who is coming back <laughs> to Williams next year? Also true. Uh, I saw some more, not, not confirmations exactly, but... Um, uh, Kibitza saying that he's he's targeting TTM for next year. Oh, cool. Just hashtag Kibitza watch Good. there. Yeah. In the last bit in. I'm still glad we had um, him back. No matter who was in that race seat, it was going to be, it was a lemon. So like, yeah, it was still, it was still cool to see him around. I wish, yeah, yeah for sure. I, you know, I think he, he will have enjoyed doing this year than the alternative of never coming back. I, you know what I mean? 
I'd like to. I, it would be great to have his thoughts on it, but I, I do feel like he'll he probably still enjoyed being part of the of the spectacle of the circus. Yeah, speaking of drivers who were out, Hulkenberg gets into Q3 for his final qualifying session. Um, and in Q3, Leclerc gets backed up for his final run and does not make it over the line. Wow. Uh, echoes of Monza, but this time it's just him. <laughs> uh, and then uh, Lewis Hamilton gets his first pole position in nine races. Yeah. Which I guess, the you know, if nothing else, it does show you how competitive this year has been, even if it doesn't feel all that competitive. Especially when yeah. you go into the final race and everything's been wrapped up, but uh, yeah, there's there's been battles. There's been a little bit of uh, especially the latter half of the season, you know, and those those Ferraris sure could qualify. Well, there here's how uh, this battle will shape up: Lewis Hamilton on top, followed by Max Verstappen. Bottas actually qualified second, but he gets bumped down, of course, for that engine penalty. Uh, Leclerc in third, Vettel in fourth, Alex Albon in fifth, behind him. We got Lando Norris, Daniel Ricciardo, Carlos Sainz, Nico Hülkenberg, and Sergio Perez in 10th place. Then we have Gasly, Stroll, Kvyat, Magnussen, and Grosjean in 15th. Antonio Giovinazzi, Kimi Raikkonen, George Russell, Robert Kubica, and Valtteri Bottas starting from the back of the grid. Do you put uh, the, uh, how much do you blame Ferrari for what went down with Leclerc? Yeah, I mean, I I didn't listen to the team radio, so I don't know how how much they were on his arse. But like, they should be checking deltas for him while he's on his hot lap. So I don't know. I mean, I think you or could probably. Lap. I think actually, race fans has a, an article that sort of breaks down the um, uh, the play by play of what exactly happened and why he was there. But it, that's like sort of ancillary to me. The the team should have put him out earlier, you know. And and I don't. I still don't understand why they cut these things so close. Is it because they don't want to be first? And if you're not first, you're, then you... You're last. You're, well, I wasn't going to say it. <laughs> but if you're not first, then you're at the mercy of where everybody else slots in? Nah. I, is, it, is it a gap thing? I don't know. I don't know how... I, yeah, I don't understand why they cut it so close. Because it yeah. is well, a sport of, about seconds... So should, just give yourself a 10 second gap there and then But Q3 is solve, tight right? by default though. Like that's that is the other thing is when you really do the math of There's fewer cars, how, right? Pardon? There's fewer cars out. There are, but just in terms of your outlap, your flying lap, your cooldown into the pits for tires like it's such like mm. Q3 is got to be pretty stressful. Um, but yeah, it does feel like Ferrari seem to get these things wrong more than other teams. A theme that comes up in the race as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, there have been rumblings of changing qualifying, and which we have seen before um, in the Bernie years. As as frustrating as something like this happening is, I think I like. I think I like it. Yes. I think I want the danger of this to be there. Don't change qualifying is what I'm saying. Yeah. Monza was a nightmare for all of the drivers and the most entertaining qualifying has ever been. Yes. It was hilarious. (laughs) Uh, Of the top six here, only Vettel is starting on soft tires instead Mm. of uh, everybody else is starting on mediums. Um, And that's all I've got for pre-race. Anybody else before we take it to the start? Nah. All right, Danny. 
All right, let's out. Away we go. Uh, the front pack all fine, reasonable, seemed like. Everyone got a decent start. Uh, they only need a little bit of action. We usually get something on that first turn with that big, dirty runoff area on the right. Uh, was uh, Gasly, who unfortunately locked up um, and then sort of, unfortunately for him, was right in front of Lance Stroll, who also locked up. Um, and went into the side of him. Gasly's front wing, badly damaged. Stroll had some damage to his wing, but also just seemed to damage the underside of the car, or the right of the chassis or something. Um, we had uh, a lot of action in terms of overtakes happening kind of from the latter half of Sector 2, uh, or the, the latter half of Sector 1 into Sector 2. Uh, K-Mag got past Hulkenberg on what would be his final race uh, of the of the season and maybe ever. Um, Hulkenberg probably just happy to try and get around one lap of this circuit, uh, considering what happened last year where he ended up on his head. Uh, Leclerc got past Verstappen into second on the on the first DRS straight, let's call it, um, the, the main sort of back straight uh, before the chicane. Um, the, then we had uh, a sort of update on Botas, who was up in the 16th already by that stage. He gobbled up a bunch of places in those early laps. Uh, Vettel then got past uh, Verstappen, and then Verstappen got him back. I didn't see the original overtake there, but I saw him uh, getting it back at the end of the DRS straight. Um, and then we had, I think it was Norris got past Signs, but by this stage we're up into Sector 3. So there was a lot of, those early few laps, there was a lot of... Um, uh, interesting back and forth and not the same type of back and forth we see here where it's kind of like you overtaken the DRS straight number one at your peril because of the DRS straight number two being so close to it. And I guess some of that was because there was a problem with DRS, right? There was, yeah. Lap four, we get a message. DRS disabled due to a technical issue. Uh, Rob, did you... I saw you posted... Um, uh, a news story about this. Uh, do you have any, am I making that up? No, 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 no. I mean, okay. Um, so the, the thing they laid out basically is the data server for the circuit crashed. Um, oh, wow. and apparently everything hinges off that server. So like all the lights, uh, all, like a lot of the time oh, scoring, wow. I guess. Uh, and also DRS detection, uh, goes off that. I don't know why it is that timing and scoring seemed to work fine for like the broadcast. Yeah. Uh, our data there never seemed to be interrupted. Uh, but in terms of like what caused the server to crash, uh, yeah, I, it just sounds like the server failed and then they had to spend 20 minutes bringing it back to life. Uh, got to turn it off, turn it on again. It takes a while. Well, and more than that, I think, they were playing it especially cool because Michael Massey said something interesting. He said, I don't want to think about if we turned it on and it hadn't worked. I couldn't tell you what was going to happen. And mm -hmm. that makes me wonder, was there a risk that the server could have, like, if they had not rebooted everything in the correct way, was there a risk that DRS was going to get stuck open and drivers couldn't, or that, you know what I mean? Like that, oh, no. I, I don't think so. I think, cause I think driver, you can kill that from the cockpit. Uh, so I don't, I, I don't fully understand what the hesitation was or whether Massey was being dramatic, but apparently they had to spend a good length of time sort of bringing it back to life and doing tests on it to make sure that it was safe to use again and that DRS would work as it's supposed to. The other interesting thing about this is, Apparently, the server, like the responsibility for all these systems 
is shared between um it's it's shared between like FIA and uh FOM. Uh and, and so it's it's kind of a, a joint production, as it were. And so there's there's two IT teams, I guess, that are called into this. Mm. Hmm. Um one more thing before I talk about DRS, Magnuson somehow rocketed past everyone from 14th on the first lap to get ahead of Hulkenberg. Did anyone see that? I watched all of Formula One's, yeah, uh, like onboards, and they didn't show it at all. So I don't know how that happened. If it was yeah. maybe the this may Perez have been and, this this may have been one of the worst races for missing stuff happening in the mid pack, um, yeah, which was irritating. But no, yeah, I missed that entirely. I barely saw the overtake of him uh, getting past. I mean, him got past Hulkenberg was kind of just in one of the wides. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, DRS. Uh, so I would curious to know what you guys thought of this whole period of 14 laps where we did not have DRS. It was enabled on lap 18 is when they finally fixed it. Um, I, part of me was, thought it was kind of awesome because this throws strategies out the window. Cause there's a much bigger danger. If you pit and come out behind a slow guy, you can't get by him. Um, what did you guys think of this experiment, basically? Yeah, we had an email from Adam in, I think it was Winterpeg, who said, uh, uh, do we really need DRS in F1? During the 15 or so laps that the DRS was disabled, uh, they were really exciting. There were uh, plenty of overtakes and attempts which mellowed out during the mid-race until the end. Plus, I think if we get rid of it, uh, there will be a bigger incentive to allow close racing with aero. I mean, the idea with the new package uh, in 2021 is to reduce the requirement for DRS and they've we talked before about how you know taking DRS off the table is eventually sort of where they want to be and um, I think there's a little bit of an artificial n- quality to this in that the cars generally are closer at the start of the race than they are 20 laps in that's when the gaps occur so you know would we have had more overtakes with DRS there presumably right so I think there's there's I think there's a few things happening here. One is you have multiple cars out of position. If you take mm-hmm. Valtteri Bottas out of the equation, starting from the back of the grid, how much action is there to follow in these opening laps? I I, I don't know, but I think there were also there was there was a car out of position which always generates uh, a lot of action on F1. But I do feel like it wasn't just that. It wasn't just that people were finding a way to make it work without DRS. It did sort of seem like what DRS encourages is this really calculated, like, okay, you set up your pass and you do it in the DRS zone. That right. is that is uh, that is how you attack. That was not working here. And so it did feel like in the DRS-free phase of the race, it did feel a little bit like drivers were having to figure out, okay, how can I get stuck in here? Without the aid of DRS, where can I get this done if I can't just rely on straight line speed? And I think it generated maybe more interesting overtake passes. Yeah, um, uh, Perez got by Magnuson on lap six for tenth place. Um, Botas, although you know he is in a much better car, got by Perez on the inside of the chicane for eighth uh, on lap twelve. Um, signs came out of the pits on lap 13, shot back Ricardo, but went in too hot into the chicane and cut the corner, had to get the place back. Worth uh, mentioning then, in this case that signs is fighting for a, uh, sixth position. Yes. And sixth place yeah. in the driver's championship. Uh, and then, uh, lap 18 before the DRS gets enabled, Vettel attacks Botas, uh, but, uh, no dice without, without the DRS. 
Uh, we had a, a, a set of Ferrari pit stops, I think, just before then too. Yes. Where Leclerc had, uh, they double stacked him. Leclerc had a super good 2.6 and then Sebastian Vettel had a 6.9, almost three times as slow um, mm. uh, for him. Yeah, uh, he rejoined in, he pitted from fourth, rejoined in sixth behind Hulkenberg and Bottas. Mm. Uh, Leclerc though, uh, just lost one place to Verstappen. Um, but yeah, DRS gets enabled on lap 18. Botas immediately passes Hulkenberg for fourth. Uh, lap 23, Giovinazzi tries to get Kubica at the chicane uh, and then crunches <laughs> into the side of him. It's I, just... Yeah, I feel like I have... Uh, this might just be confirmation bias or something, but like or crash bias, but I feel like anytime I've seen anyone try and overtake there, they've either run them off the road or hit. Like it's never been a clean like how could it possibly be a clean place to overtake? It's like a it's a, a tight right hander and a tight left hander. I remember Verstappen last year, I think it was, who like forced three people wide there, just constantly ducking down that inside and forcing them to ask the question, do I want to battle Max Verstappen into this next <laughs> corner? Um right. so yeah, it was funny seeing Giovinazzi and Kubica, which presumably they weren't even in. Was that for position? I don't yeah. know. I've, no, it was for it was early oh, in the race. It was for position, but was the position meaningful? <laughs> right. Oh yeah, it was. It was sixteenth for fifteenth. Yeah. For I mean, is, that asked, that begs the question: is the is the position ever meaningful for either of those drivers? Then yeah. <laughs> I mean, and and to be fair, like it is. Like if yeah. a Williams can hold on to a you know, mid-teens position for a while. That is that is a moral victory. Um, but yeah, that was a... Those chicanes... The chicanes here are, are, are treacherous, uh, for sure. Yeah. They seem to invite exploration. Yes, they're, those big runoff areas are just kind of like... They're, they're the carrot on the stick. And it was interesting, actually, to hear people talking so much about how this will be, you know, presumably or maybe Hulkenberg's final race. But I didn't seem to get much of that about Robert... <laughs> They didn't seem to be mentioning that much. Yeah, maybe it's because, I don't know, Hulkenberg has been around longer, more recently, if that yeah. makes any sense. Is it like Massa, the second time he retired, where people were kind of just sick of saying it's his last race? Yeah, yeah. I think, I think there's a couple elements. One, Hulkenberg has been a consistent presence on this grid for years and years and years. A lot of people mm. here didn't know Kubica from his previous stint racing. Uh, Hulkenberg's been a while, been around a while. Um, Kubica can be a slightly frosty personality, I think, and maybe endears himself a little bit less uh, to, to people. Also, I think there's an element of, it's clear Kubica couldn't compete at this level anymore. There's also a sense though, that Hulkenberg should still be there, right? right? Like there was supposed to be a deal for him going somewhere else there was supposed to be a deal for him at Haas and then the gotcha. reveal is Haas didn't want to pay what he was asking and so Hulkenberg ended up in this like really unfortunate position of being just good enough to command a premium but not good enough to actually get a premium seat I guess Grosjean's making a lot of money off that cooking deal so <laughs> you know. Did, didn't we try to find that cooking book and it didn't like it wasn't sold in America or something. Yeah, it's hard to buy. Is it in French? <laughs> yeah, that'd, that'd be tough. Just a lot of souffles. 
Yeah. Uh, let's see. Verstappen pits lap 26 from second place, goes onto the hard tire from the medium, rejoins behind Leclerc, but with tires that are 14 laps younger. Uh, although, curiously, after this, Verstappen starts complaining of turbo lag and problems with his engine, mm. uh, which kind of persist throughout uh, the race. Um, and uh, go ahead, Rob. Well, it was interesting. It was an interesting dynamic. He, uh, they didn't know what the issue was for a while, and so Verstappen was trying to troubleshoot it. It sounded like to me, he kept trying to give the team feedback on, like, "Hey, here's, you know, it feels like, uh, you know, there's there's something bad at the start of the throttle map at one point. Like, there's mm. just a dead zone." And man, Horner did not care. It was it was so clearly like either they were misinterpreting him as like complaining, like demanding it being fixed, which I don't think he was doing. I think he was just basically trying to diagnose and do what an F1 driver is trained to do, which is give the team information. But Horner like repeatedly was just kind of like, yeah, yeah, we can't really uh, do much with it. And finally had to cut him off and just say, uh, we, we can't fix it. Uh, you're just going to live with it. But the whole vibe was just kind of Horner as distracted dad, totally yeah. checked out, being like, yeah, uh, not going to do anything for you, son. It's just... It's Everyone like, is done. Yep. It's the, it's oh. the last race. We're not yeah. even going to bother investigating what happened here. I mean, I, you know, there's also, we'll get into it in the news, but it does just seem to be like a weird air around Red Bull at the moment. Yeah. Uh, it, also in one of those radio messages, um, in kind of a F1 drivers are savants incident for Stappen, hears Ferrari doing yes. their pit stops in the background of his engineer's message and asks him, Oh, Ferrari's doing a two stop or they're doing a, they're double stacking him, huh? You're kidding. Yeah. That's like, that's, that's, what was it? Was it Senna who heard, who noticed the, the crowd in Monaco wasn't looking at him around the corner? Yeah. It, that's like yeah. one of those things. <laughs> right. Wow. No, that, that, like my jaw was on the floor because <laughs> first, the other thing, F1 drivers notoriously, they have notoriously bad hearing. Now, maybe that has changed since all these guys are racing in the V6 hybrid era. Um, but I know that by reputation, F1 drivers do not have great hearing uh, from having a giant freaking motor uh, behind <laughs> their heads, uh, you know, most of their work day. Uh, so for him to be able to pick out uh, in the cacophony of an F1 race, what Ferrari's doing is just wild. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, man, Seb uh, had a really shitty stop, huh? <laughs> yeah, 6.9. <laughs> uh, six laps later on lap 32. Uh, Verstappen catches Leclerc as they're both going down a straight behind Russell, who is a backmarker. Yeah, Leclerc both DRS. gets DRS yeah, off of Russell, and then Verstappen gets DRS off of Leclerc. Russell stays to the right. Uh, Leclerc moves to the middle to pass, and then almost as an afterthought, moves more to the left to block, but Verstappen goes even further to the left and gets by as they head into the left-handed uh, turn 10. Great move from Verstappen. Yeah, Leclerc tried to get the 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 place back on the 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 next DRS straight, but just couldn't make it make it stick. It's it's the saving grace of that one is that it's just not as long as that first one. Like, um, but yeah, it does beg the question. Rob, I think, made a really good point about the DRS thing, where like it is funny how once you have this place where it's a pretty good spot to overtake, it does kind of reduce the impetus to overtake in other places, which is a bit of a shame. Um, but it was nice to see the, the two of them battling. I mean, I think Verstappen and Leclerc is a battle that we're not really going to get sick of over the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, in the continuing saga of uh, Bottas's race, he managed to catch Albon uh, by lap 39, uh, who's in fourth place. Yeah. Uh, even with both of them having done a pit stop and gets by with DRS without too much of a fight. Albon does try a defensive move, but Botas is uh, is still just too fast. Uh, lap 46, Perez gets by Hulkenberg on the inside with DRS for eighth place. Lots mm. of good Perez action in this race. Yeah, he did a super race. Um, lap 48, Stroll retires, probably due to floor damage from that first lap incident. Um, then we got lap 54, Vettel chasing down Albon. Uh, he Vettel gets DRS down the into the first chicane, but Albon retains fifth through the corner with some clever late braking. It was a really nice move. Yeah, Vettel had to sort of defensively brake to get out of it. It kind of looked like he would have struck him if he hadn't. He, yeah, and he he sticks with him. Uh, Vettel does and swoops around to the outside with DRS on the next straight mm. uh, and does get into fifth place. Yeah, the, there was no. You know, the difference between those th- cars, you could just see your two instances, just seeing how just how much of a difference in power there was. Yeah. And then um, the last bit here is a couple of great midfield battles. Yeah. Those last Perez, two laps were crazy for it. That's a, it yeah. all just happened right at the end. It's crazy. Yeah. P- uh, Perez was chasing down Norris, who was putting up a lot of really good defensive moves. Uh, for a number of laps but Perez finally did get by Norris with this nerve-wracking move into yeah. the chicane yeah um kudos to to Norris for for keeping it clean yeah that was probably overtake of the day that was um was a fantastic <laughs> piece of dr- driving Perez said over the radio that has been one of the best moves of my career yep. and then after the race uh an interviewer told Norris that Perez said that and Norris is like what can't believe I allowed him to make the best move of his career. <laughs> no, he had to. He had to make the best. There you go. You. Yeah. Uh, Norris's teammate signs also making moves. <clears throat> he got by Hulkenberg into the second chicane with a nice fake out. Uh, Hulkenberg then slid a little bit after that move, causing Ricardo to also pass him on the last lap. But tragically, uh, and- none of that was shown on television because they were looking at Hamilton going over the over the start finish straight right and every, yeah. everyone's eyes were on the time because at that stage signs needed to overtake Hulkenberg to re- to get sixth position right yeah and with that he does he gets 10th place earning him one point and sealing sixth place in the championship one point above Gasly who uh, may have been able to fight for points if not for that incident with yeah. Stroll uh, on the first lap yeah uh, yeah picture in picture everyone just put Hamilton in the top right that's all I need uh, MotoGP does a really good job of this. They have a little like pop-up window yep. on the um, I don't know what the the, the flagpole on the left side of the screen with right. all the names. They pop up a little window there. Here's here's uh, Mark Marquez, whoever's leading the race, just all the time. Oh, it's not they ju- they don't just have like a the doctor screen just constantly showing Valentino Rossi. <laughs> Maybe that's uh, <laughs> the Rossi pre- fan subscription. Yeah, it's a very colored-y barrier around the <laughs> around the pip. Right, uh, but yes. Lap 55, the race comes to a close. The season comes to a close. Lewis Hamilton wins from pole position. He led every lap and got fastest lap. Uh, Feels just like old times. Uh, His teammate Valtteri Bottas, starting in 20th place, gets fourth and may have snatched third from Leclerc if he had a few more laps to do it. Mm. He was eating about half a second a lap into Leclerc's time. Um, I got some uh, some more stats here from racefans.net. Uh, Hamilton led every lap and added fastest lap to his pole position, giving him the sixth grand slam of his career. Only Jim Clark with eight has more. Uh, Hamilton also set a new record for leading the most races in a single season. 
This might have seemed unlikely after he failed to lead a lap of the season opener in Melbourne, but he's led at least one lap of every race except at Monza. He also broke the record he set last year for most points scored in a single season, raising it from 408 to 413. Uh, can you can you imagine hearing that at the start of the season when we were like, Valtteri 2.0, he's coming back. Yeah, that's got to sting. I mean, there has been news in his personal life that perhaps accounts for some yeah. of the performance maybe you don't know um yeah do we put that in news i don't think so uh but yeah him and his wife are getting divorced he announced i think uh yesterday i think it was via whatever channels he has social media yeah. and otherwise um uh, yeah. i can just read it here his statement uh I, unfortunately i have to let you know that the marriage between amelia and myself has come to an end our ways have split because of the challenges my career and life situation bring that sucks and we think this is best for both of us in our future lives, so we are separating as friends. <clears throat> I will be forever thankful for all the sacrifices she had to make for me, for her support during many years, uh, and for all the experiences that we have had together. I trust that you will respect both of us in our privacy regarding this matter. This will be all I have to say and comment regarding our divorce. Yeah, that's, yeah. that absolutely sucks. Um, Next time I think uh, Formula One driver is a glamorous life. Yeah, I mean, you know, next year is not going to be any easier for any of them. You know what I mean? Like that's uh, they've been together since 2010, I believe. And next year is going to be the most races anyone's had. And Kimmy talks about it a lot. Like he's saying, like, you know, when I've retired, it's going to be I get to be at home. (laughs) You know, know, it's like it's, it's I don't know how it must be so strange for some of these, especially the drivers that have been doing it for years, like people like Kimmy, like what a bizarre transient life to 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 have led for decades like constantly on the road it's uh yeah it's well, absolutely bananas mm. especially with kids it's i don't know how they do it well and there's the whole added stress of it is such a bizarre version of a life that there's the what like who are you and what are your relationships like when that is no longer part of your life like right i was thinking about jensen button and his uh longtime girlfriend uh God, what was her name? Uh, Mishibata, uh, model. Um, did they not get they married? Were together for, pardon? They, are they not married? Did they not get married? They got married for like a hot minute and then they split. Oh, right. Um, after his, like, and this all happened during his retirement. You know, who knows what goes on in a relationship, but I, I do think there's an element of having this kind of career, having the pressures of F1 are their own form of stress on a relationship, but they also eliminate the possibility for other types of stresses and other sorts of frictions totally. that build up in a relationship. And so like, it's just, it is a tough thing uh, to the, the, the question of like, who are you apart from F1? It's such an all consuming way of life um, as a lot of like elite pro sports are mm. uh, that, I got to believe there's sort of this, the sort of heightened uh, intensity and uncertainty around, you know, both juggling a personal life and, and a professional life in the moment. And then what awaits you after retirement? Yeah. Well, um, I guess he can, he can take away a little bit of, uh, good news because he's second in the championship um <laughs> ahead of you know 18 other people uh and, and when you think about it the rest of the world <laughs> that's true uh lewis hamilton won this race behind him max verstappen in second charlotte Leclerc in third I, f- I we forgot to mention that he was under investigation for a fuel mm. 
uh, discrepancy, and we thought that he may have been handed some kind of penalty during the race um, that was kind of hanging over it. He he actually did not know about that during the race, which I think was maybe wise for the team to keep right, yeah. from him, to not distract him. But uh, Ferrari fined 50,000 euros uh, as a result of that. Um, I, think that I think they've got it. Yeah. I think one of the uh, pit just crew fine. just emptied out his pockets and it fell out. <laughs> Found some change in his couch. Uh, yeah, apparently this was a, a random check and Ferrari reported, uh, let's see. Five kilograms, yeah. I believe it was. Yeah, 4.88 kilograms, oh, according sorry. to <laughs> racefans.net. Danny, thank sorry. you. <laughs> my bad. <laughs> you are only allowed to have 110 kilograms of fuel per race. So it's not um, an insignificant amount, you know what I mean? Like that, that's like a... That's like a f- one or two faster laps than you would have. Done, Somebody you know? didn't hit the terror button. <laughs> that's that's my suspicion. It's that is the sort of weight discrepancy that like you didn't get the right reference. Uh, you didn't zero out the scale before you weighed again or something. Mm. That is such a or because it, they said they didn't. It's not like they read the wrong number off the sheet. They said there was a discrepancy in the measurement they got and what they were actually carrying. Uh, So to me, it sounds like the sort of mistake I make in the kitchen all the time, which is is just like, oh, shit, I was weighing something else and then I didn't zero it out. Yeah, and it's not, I should point out, it's not that they had 114.88 kilograms. It's that they, teams have to, this is from the article, teams have to declare how much fuel they put in their cars. Uh, when the Claire's car was checked at Abu Dhabi, it was found to contain uh, almost 4.88 kilograms more than the declaration. Mm. So they were they were fined. Uh, Leclerc, though, gets to keep his podium. Just off the podium, Valtteri Bottas. Behind him, Sebastian Vettel in fifth. Alex Albon uh, in sixth. And then we got Sergio Perez, Lando Norris, Danny Kvyat, and Carlos Sainz with the last point of the race. Behind them, Daniel Ricciardo and Nico Hulkenberg in his probably final race. Kimi Raikkonen in 13th, Magnussen, Grosjean, Jeez. Antonio Giovinazzi. What um, has gone on with Haas? It's incredible to think how far back they are. Like, it's just gotten worse every race. Yeah, and it's it's. I think it's highlighted by the fact that they always qualify pretty well, and they right. just plummet. Uh, I really hope they fix it for next year. Uh, Antonio Giovinazzi in 16th. George Russell comes home 17th. Pierre Gasly in 18th. Robert Kubica 19th. And not classified Lance Stroll, who uh, DNF'd. Yeah. So, the final standings, everyone. It's the final standings (laughs) of uh, F1 2019 World Drivers' Championship. Lewis Hamilton, 413 points, as mentioned prior. Valtteri Bottas in second with 326. Max Verstappen, uh, solid third with 278. Charles Leclerc, fourth place with 264 ahead of his teammate Sebastian Vettel in fifth with 240. Hello, Uh, number one driver next year. (laughs) Yeah, look at that black camera pod. Right? Uh, Carlos Sainz in sixth place. Good man, Carlos. One point ahead of Pierre Gasly. Super. Uh, 96 to 95. Alex Albon just close behind them with 92. Uh, Daniel Ricciardo, 54 points. Sergio Perez in 10th with 52. Behind them, we've got Lando Norris with 49. Kimi Raikkonen with 43. A tie between Danny Kvyat and Nico Hulkenberg with 13, at 13th with 37 points. Uh, Lance Stroll's got 21. Kevin Magnussen with 20. Antonio Giovinazzi has 14 points. Roman Grosjean with 8. Bobby K ends his uh formula one 2019 with uh one point and george russell with the goose egg 
Uh, Mercedes, 400, I'm sorry, 739 points. Ferrari, <laughs> second place with 504. Red Bull's got 417. McLaren in fourth place with 145 points. Renault with 91. Scuderia, Toro Rosso. Maybe the last time no, I'll say don't that. don't say it. Don't say it. Uh, with 85 points. Racing Point, 73. <clears throat> Alfa Romeo's got 57. Gene Haas and team ninth place in the championship. Oh, we're going to have to do better next points. year. Do better next yep. year, boys. And uh, Williams with one, thanks to Bobby K. Yep, and a bunch of people who crashed. That's right. <laughs> was that was that was that Germany? Uh, may yeah, yes. I think so. I thought, yeah, just trying to rack my brains for what was the what was the crash? Which was the crash? There were a bunch of crashes, and I think he got like unbelievably lucky with with safeties and the pit stops. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. yeah. Well, and he missed the slip and slide. He didn't go on the slip and slide. All the kids were loving <laughs> right, the slip yep. and slide. <laughs> oh, Hulkenberg. I know. It's such a scotch. Oh. Don't even mention it. Yeah. Awful. All right. Let's talk about news. All right. Uh, we forgot to assign who's taken what, but whatever. You already covered half of these during the race. That's true. <laughs> um, I did like this quote that Rob, I think you pulled from Gasly. <laughs> yeah, he just... He just brutalized Stroll after the race. Uh, he said, when Stroll is behind you, it's 50-50 that something like this happens. <laughs> uh, just squarely putting all the blame on Stroll. Uh, I have to say, you look at the in-car from Stroll. He made a pretty bad mistake. Like, he really went out wide in close order, and Gasly was right there. It was a bad mistake. Hmm. Um. Speaking of mistakes, <laughs> no, that's not fair. I hope you're coming to fair. me. I hope you're coming to me for this one. <laughs> okay. All right, Danny. Sure. Do you want to talk about Make it? Good. Speaking of mistakes, do you want to talk about Circuit Paul Ricard? Yeah. Uh, French GP organizers <laughs> uh, uh, investigation. Uh, what would it be like if uh, Circuit Paul Ricard did not suck? This is from autosport.com. A uh, couple of <laughs> that's not their headline, by the way. Is it not? What is that? <laughs> That's, that's mine. That's my. Oh, it is. That's my. Oh, sorry. Yeah. There's this French GP assessing Paul Ricard layout tweaks tweaks to uh, improve F1 action. Uh, these focused on three key changes, including a reprofiling of the chicane on the Mister L straight to make it tighter. This would be the chicane that was stuck in there because previously it was just an incredibly long straight. Um, the addition of a third DRS zone, which everyone loves those, uh, before Signes, uh, plus uh, an all-new layout in the first section. Uh, Boulier is involved, so is FOM and uh, Michael Massey. Everyone seems to agree that there are major issues here. Um, yeah, I do. I, I saw Chamber, I think it was, um, saying, oh, you know, wishes for next year would be to get rid of Abu Dhabi and Paul Ricard. I th- as boring as, as the race was this year, I think... I don't know. If we'd more to fight for, maybe it would have been more interesting. But yeah, nobody enjoyed Paul Ricard last year. Uh, but uh, perhaps the worst sign of all of this is that Budio tells a story that he asked Massey and the FIA for thoughts on how Paul Ricard could be better, and they sent back a completely new track layout. <laughs> <laughs> it's. Oh, boy. You asked. 
this needs to be the sprinkler track. Like, there's nothing else going for it. Like, so that's just... it's also the one track. It's basically a test track. You could. It's the only track where, like, if they just started hosing down the track, it'd be like, yeah, that's probably what this track's meant for. Do you know the test reverse driving. grid thing they were talking about for shits and giggles? This is the one. Just like in the, it's it's near oh. enough. It's after Monaco, so everyone's been really serious for for a week. We'll just chill out, have a fun run, and then we can go off and do the interesting races in in Austria and Belgium or whatever. It's uh, God. I, I hope feel it's like so year. much of what is weird about F one though is just if they just ballasted the cars. Like, and I know, right. I know that there are major philosophical objections to that in F one. That it's a contra the spirit of the sport and everything. But everything, like you're like, man, I love it when someone starts a race out of position. Oh, it was great watching these DRS free overtakes. It's like yeah. put weights on the cars. Hey, how about this? How about this? Why don't we just give extra fuel to the top teams? Just extra fuel. Fuel they don't even need. They can take it home with them after the race. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's not very green, Danny. You you may have, you may have forgotten last week the uh, that 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 F one solved uh, the climate crisis um, with biofuels. We'll get to that email in a minute. Uh, but yeah, they, they would they would probably just burn the fuel off, and then uh, then where would we be? Donuts. Let's do more donuts at the end of the race. <laughs> Uh, speaking uh, of where we're going to be, though, did anyone notice there was so it was mostly uh, race fans that spotted the weird subtext around Honda extending their partnership with Red Bull. Did did y'all see the weird vibe about the way Red Bull and Honda sort of announced the continuation of a partnership that has really been pretty successful, right? Yeah, I didn't you, notice well, anything recently, about this yeah. un- until you brought it up to us. Yeah. I just saw some some tweets from the team saying like we're we're Honda through 2021. Thumbs up. That's all there was was tweets. Yeah. Like and not from Honda. They were all like yeah. it was the two Red Bull teams official accounts were basically where this news went out and they both used some slightly strange wording that the Red Bull account specified that Honda's continuing to support us through 2020 which is not the big question. Uh, it's it's really what happens after. And uh, the Tarasso account just said, glad that uh, Honda is going to continue supplying the team, which allows even more interpretation uh, for, for what that means. It's 2021, but, right? Through uh, 2021? Okay, yeah, yeah, it is post-2021. Um, but that's, so that's going to be, is that going to be a new engine regime? In 2021, I forgot how much the the engines are being overhauled. In tw- it's in. not; they're not changing that much okay. if they are at all. Yeah, uh, but it's just it's weird. It's weird because if you think about this program, has finally gotten on its feet. Honda is making good engines, mm. and there is not much of a celebratory vibe from Honda at all. They don't seem to prioritize that, and Dieter Rankin basically wrote about how the whole strategy they're they're executing is really weird which is that being an engine supplier is really expensive and not very profitable and then Honda have been the ones to go out of their way and say they're not supplying more than two teams so the only way that like the ec- the economy of scale for what Honda is doing would make sense is if they're selling to more than two teams but they're refusing to do that they don't want to do it um, but they're not getting any of the prize money distribution 
from like that you would being a works team running your own mm. car. Uh, and so like basically Rankin's case is Honda's got this weird half in half out relationship to F1 and in the process of doing that, they're maybe doing it in the least efficient way possible. Um, but the, the thing that really spooked me is Rankin talking about if Honda goes, if Honda's just like pulls the plug after 2021 and says, we don't do this anymore. What happens to Red Bull? Like does does Red Bull like, re, like like does Red Bull continue in the sport if their engine supplier uh, basically goes and they and and they're you know having to start from square one with going back to Renault because oh, wow. they're not they can't buy from Mercedes and they can't buy from uh from Ferrari they're competing with them or I mean. Can they not buy? Aren't, isn't everyone competing with them? I know they're competing with them <clears throat> in a much more direct way than some of the other teams. Well, but, that's, that's more what I mean. Is would right. they? Uh, yeah, it, it it did seem in Drive to Survive that a large part of the, like they tend to run a relatively economically tight ship. Like they're trying not to. They're not throwing their money around in the same way that some of the other bigger teams are. Yeah. So like whether like I I think. If the passion is still there, I think the FAA would be terrified of losing Red Bull because yes. at the very least, a two-horse race would be unseemly. There has been many seasons in F1 where it's been a one-horse race or a two-horse race. At least the idea that the Red Bulls are in the mix kind of, I don't know, creates a slope in quality where otherwise there might be a cliff between the top and the and the, the mid-pack. So, I don't know. I think it would it would be so beneficial of the FAA to figure out something for everyone in that situation but I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised if Tan, if Honda left like when you know we, we've seen engine manufacturers leak come and go in the past and like yeah like maybe part of the reason why they don't do more than two teams is because it's easier to get out then yeah what's what's Ford up to mm. they just bet Ferrari in that new movie yeah. available in box Spoilers. offices now uh yeah, I mean I but I think this is the other problem facing Formula One is that they can't just go and find a manufacturer off the street who wants to get involved in F1. Um because there's a it's tough to make necessarily the business case for being involved in F1 if you are a consumer car manufacturer. Like Ferrari, it makes sense because you're selling Ferraris. Uh, Mercedes Motorsports is pretty deep in that company's identity. Uh, you know, the, the AMG division of the company, basically a company within a company, uh, is, is all very like performance oriented. It's a big part of their brand. But in terms of that's not key to Ford's business, um, Ford barely makes cars at this point. Mm. Uh, the, you know, they're effectively a truck and SUV company. So it's, I, I think there is, the politics around Honda are one thing. There's also kind of there's an undercurrent of like slight antsiness to 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 Rankin's post that that I kind of get where it's coming from, which is that if like a lot of key things in Formula One are hanging by pretty slender threads, right? Like if a couple major companies decide this doesn't make sense for us anymore, Formula One immediately has like a supplier and competition crisis. Mm. 
Yeah. Um, one more thing they'll have to fix. Uh, speaking of fixing things or changing things for the future, Zandvoort. We have Zandvoort. a render of uh, the upcoming track. Uh, apparently, a lot of changes need to be made. Uh, I also saw a picture of a bunch of trucks moving around, changing things on the track, making it F1 ready for next year. Uh, this is the uh, track, of course, in um, uh, the Netherlands. And we have a render now from the uh, architectural firm that is overhauling the track. What do you guys think of this? Well, the first thing that jumped to mind, I think, when we were watching it before uh, the the podcast was the banking is very indie-like. Oh, yeah. The, it's steep. Steep and the start, finish straight, both ends of it, like the, the end of the lap, the final turn and the first turn are on it, uh, which is going to give us like... This is where you need that that really that spider cam shot, just the entire way. I guess you've got a helicopter; yeah. it doesn't seem thing, but just that, that you know the follow cam along that whole thing because it's just like, yeah, it looks like a lot of. There's fun. another one in the in the first sector too that's that's heavily banked. Yeah, there's a couple of them. Yeah, but that 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 last one seemed to be the most dramatic of them, and and also just like it has like a wall but a catch fence kind of thing. At least in the render, it, it looks very indie-ish. Um, and we're not used to them because, you know, the tires don't tend to enjoy them all that much. That's the thing that did make me a little bit nervous about this uh, this render is that this was uh, – so Mario Izzola, Pirelli's head of racing and in particular their Formula One initiative, said that <laughs> – this is an interesting way to put it. They, the, the Zandvoort organizers, told us about this idea to have the 18 degrees of banking. It seems that it was a decision that was already taken because otherwise they had an issue. The straight is not very long and they have an issue with the DRS period. Uh, so we will adapt our prescription based on the calculation. But in that, Azola also said, well, we can't, make, we can't very well make a custom tire for one circuit. That's not in the card, so we'll just have to make this work. But then saying that right at the same time, you're noting that basically they handed you a fait accompli. And we're like, hey, we're just doing banking. And you don't have any input on that decision. It was just, it's already made. Uh, that does make me, anytime I see a tire supplier in Formula One getting antsy about banking, I flash back to Indy. Yeah. And I think like, oh my God, are they going to ruin the first Dutch Grand Prix in ages by discovering by, that the sidewalls are blowing out? By, by Indy, you mean the Indianapolis US Grand Prix, not IndyCar? Yeah, yeah, the, the the yeah the USGP uh, where where Michelin no, couldn't way run. Bef- was it was it two thousand five? It was somewhere in there. Was it? Look it up. All I know is Michelin couldn't run. Bridgestone could. Yeah, which meant a grid of six, I believe it was, and a lot of booing fans, <laughs> and then no cool. US Grand Prix for a little while. Well, a few things that are known. Number one, Nicholas Latifi is in at Williams, confirmed. It is as known. We thought. It is known. Uh, Formula One has a, uh, a little YouTube video about who he is introducing him. I haven't watched it yet, but uh, I will link that in the show notes. He's a race car uh, driver. He's a race car driver. Formula Two guy. Mm. Uh, did very well this season. Um, let's see. I'm going to skip. This is this is our last one. We're gonna we're gonna come back to that for <laughs> okay. the end. But uh, a few more quick things here. Um, w Series champion Jamie Chadwick has joined uh, the Asian Formula 3 series, which kicks off uh, in two weeks, I believe, December 12th through the 14th. Um, 
yeah, so good on her. Getting some more uh, experience in. Formula E, now a, quote, world championship. Uh, they tweeted this out recently. It's official. It is official. They are now a world championship. What does that mean, you say? According to uh, Hazel Southwell, uh, Formula E reporter, not much. Uh, she tweets, if you're wondering, this means Formula E finally paid the FIA for world championship status, <laughs> uh, which is fine, uh, but it, it was only admin. It wasn't before. I don't know if that's a typo. Um, mm. But basically, they now get to call themselves world champions when they win, not just champions. Hey, it basically makes wait, it this not, is only not just a series e. winner, I think. I know. You're a season yeah. winner or something, I think, otherwise. If I win Formula E, you bet your ass I'm going around the world being like, I am the world champion of Formula E. I mean... Find me another one. It's definitely... (laughs) (laughs) It's definitely more of a claim to a world accomplishment than the World Series is. Yeah, (laughs) that's true. Uh, Mahavir Ragunathan. Oh, boy. Formula 2 driver. Uh, I uh, was trying to struggle to come up with... um, uh, an F1 analog. I said he was like the pastor Maldonado, but Danny, <laughs> you retorted that's giving him too much credit. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Uh, this guy has racked up so many penalty points on his license. Um, he was banned once, and I think only is escaping a second ban because this is the last race of the season and penalty points reset uh, at the end of a season. So here, uh, racefans.net has a bullet point list of uh, all his infractions. Uh, Bahrain race two, passed the checkered flag twice. (laughs) I don't even... Okay. Did he back Um, up or did he just do another lap? (laughs) Baku practice, failed to stop at the way bridge when signaled to during practice. Baku race two, overtook another car before the safety car line during a restart. Monaco race one, left the track and gained an advantage. Monaco race one, collided with Jack Aitken. Monaco race two, left the track and gained an advantage. (laughs) France race one, three virtual safety car infringements. Oh, he just didn't know. He just didn't know how to keep his delta down. He just like, he was freaking out. It's like the first time you try and hit the pit limiter in a video game and you totally fuck it up. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Belgium qualifying, uh, yellow flag speeding. Uh, Russia race two, left the track and did not follow the instructions about rejoining. Uh, And finally, Abu Dhabi practice did not follow practice start procedure. Apparently he, uh, uh, was doing practice starts when there were still cars in front of him that were stopped on the track. So, which is dangerous. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's how you can be a bad driver. Was it Formula Two where I think was there? I feel like there was one in Abu Dhabi where somebody didn't start and everyone went into the back of him. I think it was. I have. I'm having I like this memory of it happening. You know, it's one of the most dangerous things that happens in F1 is when somebody stalls on the grid um, before anyone has realized they've stalled because then everyone hits the you know there's a there's basically just an object sitting in the middle of the track i I believe that happened at abu dhabi a couple years back i can't remember when Mm. sorry um final news news hard-hitting news can i mention one thing about him one more thing about him is we did mention him i believe earlier this year he was the guy who tried to execute what can only be described as a 15 point turn in Baku when he went down one of the exit roads. Do you remember? Yeah. 
and and then there was a famous shot of him back at the pits later and basically his like race engineer telling him no you need to keep turning the wheel oh, before you man. reverse and yeah it's like it's like it's like you know driver's ed kind of level Oof. yeah yeah i don't believe in simulation theory except when i see him driving because i think that he's he's basically like a novice playing a racing game and we're all just along for the ride uh well we're along for the ride in formula one's it's formula one's world everyone (laughs) and uh the world needs perfume here's an article from uh hard-hitting news site (laughs) forbes.com formula one debuts its first ever fragrance in game-changing 3d printed metal bottles Designed by Ross Lovegrove. Lovegrove. Priced at $10,000 a piece. Rob has not seen these yet. Is he allowed to click the link yet? Yes. Uh, uh, click on the Forbes one and just just scan really any, pick any sentence from any paragraph. Uh, while I read the names of the, uh, the the whole range here, we've got... Hold on. We've got... Resembling a bejeweled cocoon, the feminine... <laughs> Agile Embrace Bottle in gold-plated 3D-printed titanium features strong, flowing lines that envelop the inner core, thereby referencing how an F1 car structure surrounds and protects the driver with anatomic precision, like a haute couture suit. Have you seen the picture of it? Scroll down. I mean, it looks very I mean, agile. Just reading that text, I think we've all seen it. I mean, sc- scroll scroll eye. down slightly more, and you'll actually see it. So there's three three in the in the range here. We've got agile embrace, <laughs> fluid symmetry, and my personal favorite, compact suspension. Oh, nice. Oh my god. What do you think of that gold bottle, Rob? Does it remind you of anything? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it reminds me of a Destiny helmet. Cool. I think I saw that gold <laughs> bottle the day my daughter was born. Okay. Well, uh, compact suspension is yeah. also just kind of gloriously tacky. This is this is this is not. This is some Abu Dhabi shit right here. Oh my god! Oh, yeah. This There's is- an interview with the artist at the end of this article. With some, oh, just the softest softballs lobbed up. Uh, why did you accept this commission from F1? Oh, I Answer, wonder. I'm very picky, so I only make any kind of design if I feel it's a challenge and I have the chance to make it, to make a different level of contribution to a particular sector. So I could feel that there was something really interesting there. Also, they paid me a load of money to make a vagina bottle. Yeah. And they're not even, even in the flavor text. That's basically like what they're laying out for you is <laughs> just come out and say uh, it, just, folks, just a on. feminine embrace. Oh just God. yeah, this is this is some embarrassing tacky shit. Like I thought the carbon champagne bottles were <laughs> were a bit much, um, but this is well. I mean, this reminds me of remember uh, the first episode of Grand Prix Driver where Van Doren's kind of being inducted into the world of F1 driver and he has to do the um, meet and greet at the launch event for like F1 watches or McLaren yeah, watches. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they all look like shit. They're just all just massive pieces of steel with branding all over them. Uh, they're just they're just tacky garbage. Uh, and I think this is the other, 
that's the other part of F1. So much of this stuff is so deeply uncool in the way that, like, conspicuous consumption always is. Right? Have you ever like, been to, like, one of those, like, Ferrari shops? Like, where everything costs a fortune and it all is terrible. Mm-hmm. Like, the only, like, there are very few pieces of F1 merchandise that I think, I'm sorry to everyone who's listening who has a shed load of Ferrari jackets, but, like, uh, Drew's, your Mercedes hat, I thought, that looks Williams. Good. Williams, that's yeah. right. That, that looks stylish. I'm partial to my Thank Alexander you. Rossi cap, like, things like that. But it's whenever, like, F1 drifts into items that are not associated with a sport, where it starts to look a little like, uh... I mean, okay, though, I still regret to this day not buying the Kimi Raikkonen Ray-Bans. <laughs> the Bois-Bans? Those were good. Those were those were good. I had them in my hand. Almost yeah. bought them. If nothing else, we now at least have our next Patreon stretch goal. <laughs> the irony is <laughs> the that you get tasting. something... <laughs> <laughs> Can't taste any worse than Rich Energy. You get something that's so directly related to the aerodynamic principles of the car, but then you also get something that's a bit Art Nouveau. There's a really nice, delicate emotional spirit to it, which is an offset from the masculinity of F1. Look, it's literally how you make a space frame and you join the dots. So it's a much stronger fractalized aesthetic. And that's why I've left that one in stainless steel. Fuck it. I swear to God, like, you say what you want about, like, wine or some of these industries, but the perfume industry is just, like, it's snake oil all the way down. <laughs> Where's You know what I'm missing here is I can't get a sense of the scale of these things. Yeah, they look, uh, oh, they had a, um, uh, they had them, uh, I saw, like, a during practice or something, I, t- I tuned in and they, they showed them. They're, like, like, a foot high, maybe, each? Oh, okay, oh, okay. so okay. it is, like, a whiskey bottle-sized like yeah they were big the the ones they had behind glass were like like big like maybe maybe a maybe not a whole foot maybe three quarters of a foot so wait though so it's a lot of perfume i mean like, so you the actual bottles giant, of perfume aren't that yeah, big see inside no, there's them? no way yeah. there's any perfume in that oh like, three variants ranging in height from seven to nine inches oh. uh uh to the heaviest is 550 grams that's compact suspension and takes 35 hours to 3d print i mean made to order well, ten thousand dollars. What's what's the hour? What? How much money is that three D printer getting? What wage is that three D printer getting? That seems like a good day's work. Okay. Well, this uh, is. Uh, yeah, let's move on. Worth everyone's time. <laughs> uh, let's move on to the fantasy standings. What Ooh, do you say? Sure. Who won? We have a. Oh my gosh. One, two, three, four, five way tie for Abu Dhabi. Oh my goodness. For fourth place, uh, between. Downs Force, G's Mercedes Driver Team hedged by Ferrari, Rich Volt F1 Energy Team tie for the season, St. Giovese Racing Team, and then Cloudy with a chance of Inters. <laughs> uh, in third place, uh, this is again for Abu Dhabi, Verstappen for nobody. That's real good. Yeah, that's solid. Strolling to the podium. Oh, mm. man. Got a theme here. And Blue Horse Racing, number one in Abu Dhabi. But overall... Could we, do a, here. could we do a top 10 countdown, maybe? Top 10 countdown. Here we go. Fry the donuts. Coming home. Number 10 nice. on the season. Uh, <laughs> ninth place. No points for their hosses. <laughs> uh, number eight, DEFCON 1. Number seven, Beautiful. Dragon Ball GT. Nice. Number six, Nando Lando. Love it. Number five, Jacked Up Racing. Number four, G's Rich. Mercedes team. Uh, G's Mercedes driver team hedged by Ferrari. <laughs> Number three, St. Awesome. Giovese Racing Team. 
Number two, Boah, oh, to the future, so, part three. So close, Boah. And then means... uh, by a margin of 50 points, wow. that's right. Rich Volt, F1, energy team, tie for the season. Congratulations. The, truly the story of the F1 season. We'll get into it in our, in our postseason wrap-up, but <laughs> congratulations. Ed, is there a name associated with that team? Um, let me see here. Whoever, whoever, Sam, Sam, whoever that is, Sam, if you can get in contact, if you can email podcast at noclip.video and just supply some sort of proof of who you are. Hey, how about shiftf1podcast at gmail.com? What did I just say? Podcast and noclip of video. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Feel free to edit that out. Um, If you can email shiftf1podcast at gmail.com with like some sort of, I don't know, proof that that it's you, uh, your like dashboard or something. Um uh we'll we'll do something uh we need to we need to have this incredible achievement in fantasy sports uh given some yes. sort of uh prize. dominant victory absolutely fantastic uh should we take it to the emails danny sure let's do it uh shift f1 podcast at gmail.com or of course uh, if you want to be even cooler you can go to f1.cool slash emails uh this first one drew do you want to take this email from connor sure uh i also should point out of the, I think, 1,683 entrants, uh, I came 699th. It's not bad. That's the, the Fantasy League. Yeah, that's the top half. Better than Roman Grosjean did. <sighs> Oof, ouch. Uh, <laughs> all right, this one's from Connor. It says, uh, hi, Drew, Danny, and Rob. I want to thank you guys for getting me into F1 for the first time this season. I jumped in for Spa, and now I'm totally hooked to the point that I've been watching most practice sessions. That is, you're in deep. Mm. Uh, as we've now sent the 2019 season off into the Persian Gulf sunset, I was wondering if you guys have some favorite races from the last handful of seasons that new fans like myself can watch during the off season to fill the void. Uh, also on a side note for Drew, as a fellow Athenian from the class of 2011, I'm pretty sure your memification of the last few years has made your, made you our most well-known alum. Go Owls. (laughs) Thanks, Connor. Awesome. Uh, I have a little list of a few here for me to go through some of them. Uh, while you guys are okay. while you guys are having a think, uh, yeah, I think we all agree actually on what this year's would be, right? Yeah, Germany. Yeah, Hockenheim Ring this year. Hockenheim Ring, right? Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, this year with it with the uh, slip and slide was a, a particularly um, interesting race. In a similar vein, uh, a race we often talk about, which I believe is on F1 TV, is the 2011 Canadian Grand Prix. It's another race with uh, rain, red flags, and um, Perhaps the most dramatic, one of the most dramatic final laps of uh, of uh, of F one ever uh, was the twenty was it two thousand and eight uh, Brazilian Grand Prix was that the year Hamilton won his first championship? I think it was two thousand and eight. Uh, I think you're right with the Massa thing. Yes, uh, that whole race is. Um, is 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 a real joy to watch. Uh, that's a that's a another good one. And then trying to think about last year, maybe the um, Baku had two great years in a row. Twenty seventeen was a great race, and I think twenty eighteen was the last year was when the Red Bulls had their contact. Um, I think there was a bunch of good stuff in that one as well. Um, but yeah, I think it was the twenty seventeen Canadian or Azerbaijani Grand Prix we had, which was which was a real romper stomper. Yeah, I think those those are great picks. I think I would only throw in, I think it might be Brazil 2016, 
where it was like Verstappen putting on a masterclass oh, yes. in, the, in the rain. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. think that's what it is. I'll, I'll double check that and I'll also put these in the show notes in case uh, uh, you, you're not writing these down. Um, yeah, I don't. I also don't know how many of them are on F1 TV archive. Right. It's, it's not complete there, but hopefully since they're fairly recent, they will be. Well, we also, I think we mentioned before the podcast that there was a kind of a, like a good four race run right after Paul Ricard. Like, was it the Red Bull ring? For this year? Yeah, this year. Yeah. Uh, Silverstone, Hockenheim ring, and either Spa, I think it was, or yeah, it was yeah. there was a, a bunch of good ones right after Paul Ricard. So if you missed any of those this year, um, even if you watched them, it's always a good, good laugh to go back and, and check them out again. Agreed. Uh, this next email, uh, sorry, Rob, any you had or did we cover them all off? No, we can go. You got them? Awesome. Uh, Jordan uh, emails us about Formula E. Uh, actually got two emails about Formula E. I'll read them both out. Um, Hi, y'all. In your Formula E primer, the three of you mused on how Formula E was filled with XF1 drivers and tried to think if any drivers had gone the other way, with Albon being the only one you could think of. Funnily enough, there is one other example of going from Formula E to F1, Pierre Gasly, who filled in for Sebastian Buemi in Season oh. 3's New York doubleheader. Uh, Buemi had WEC, uh, WEC commitments, which arguably cost him that season's driver championship. Uh, Gasly came in 7th and 4th that weekend, for the record. Thanks for the great po- uh, podcast and game videos. Uh, yeah, I, to- I, d- I do remember that. I'd totally forgotten that, uh, that he had had a go at the electric uh, vehicles, albeit for a short amount of time. Uh, and then the other one we have here is from Corey, uh, which I guess it was in relation to, we were talking about where you can watch Formula E and just how difficult it is. Um, uh, with a piece of information that uh, none of us knew, which was, um, I decided to start watching Formula E this winter, uh, being Formula One is coming to a close for the season and I need to get my racing fixed somewhere. And to my surprise, Formula E is shown on Fox Sports 1 and Fox Sports 2. It does have commercials, which is a bummer, uh, but I don't have to wait for the race to show up on YouTube. I even attached a picture of the first race uh, from this season that I recorded on my DVR. Thanks for the podcast every week. Keep up the good work. Um uh, yeah, so I guess they weren't making much of a song and dance about that, but apparently it's available on Fox Sports. Yeah, it was it was last year. Right. Um, I, I wonder why Formula E's website doesn't tell you that. Yeah. Or maybe Corey is not in America? Hmm. Is there Fox Sports outside of America? Yes. No, really? no, 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 no. Like, I, I'm pretty sure I've been able to record it as well on my DVR, but I don't mm. think it's as... Um, like, it, it feels like it shows up really late on the DVR. In okay. terms of like when it gets assigned a spot. And so I found it difficult to keep up on. Hmm. That's a shame. Um, Drew, do you want to take this one from Joel? Uh, yes. Joel says, in Abu Dhabi, I noticed visible vortexes, for want of a better word, I believe vortices mm-hmm. is what you're looking for, uh, coming off the top corners of the rear wings when DRS was closed and the cars were on the straights. These were on full display in this race in particular due to the technical issues. I guess that's Uh, the DRS being shut off. uh, Yes, that's probably Mm. what Joel means. Uh, The only other race I noticed this was in Melbourne. I've only seen 80% of the races, so maybe this may have happened more often. Uh, Have you guys noticed this before or have any ideas as to the culprit? Humidity? Yeah, is uh, is this... I was wondering if you might have insight into this being... uh, with your experience in flying airplanes, like because that's the type of thing I've noticed noticed this before that type of like wispy air that comes off the back of it um do you have any idea what it is yeah so uh i pulled up uh the wikipedia 
uh, article for contrail and scrolled down to wingtip vortices. Say chemtrails? Yes. Okay. Um, ba -ba -da -ba -da. The reduction in pressure and temperature across each vortex can cause water to condense and make the cores of the wingtip vortices visible. This effect is more common on humid days. Right. Uh, so, yeah, it's basically just a pressure differential um, compressing the water closer together and basically making a um, a, a, a cloud. Cool. And then it just very, dis very briefly. It, it dissipates then, I guess, just as, it, as, yeah. as it's... It, the pressure equalizes right. out and it goes away. Cool. There you go. The yeah. more you know. Actually, it's, well, it, it could also be Formula One cars uh, dumping <laughs> fluoride into the air to keep us all... To keep our people keep our teeth Pacified. clean you know yeah exactly uh speaking of uh mad science rob i want to take this one from kyle yeah this one's from kyle hi guys after the brief discussion episode 92 i thought i'd throw in to help explain why biofuels and synthetic fuels are considered more environmentally friendly than fossil fuels we all know that one of the major drivers of climate change is carbon and the increasing amount of carbon in the atmosphere via carbon dioxide which causes both greenhouse heating and ocean acidification this is why carbon capturing, whether by advanced technology that precipitates it directly out of the atmosphere or simply by growing more trees, is a major field of interest in combating climate change. The problem with fossil fuels is that it basically takes dead stock carbon from where it has been safely locked away underground and introduces it into the atmosphere where it increases the overall total. In contrast, biofuels and other synthetic fuel options have carbon capture built into their life cycle. Carbon is taken out of the environment via crops or some technological process and converted into burnable hydrocarbons. Depending on how dirty the process of creating the fuel is, ideally you'd be using renewable energy sources for it, the cycle is theoretically carbon neutral. I hope that clarifies things. This was sent mm. in from Kyle at Shell.com. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, I jest, it's, I jest, I jest. It's a good point, mm. uh, but those caveats are, I think, one reason why the verdict is so mixed on this stuff, right? Uh, in terms of, my understanding is the things that can be readily converted into synthetic fuels right now, we don't have a great uh, carbon neutral supply chain for, right. it, you know, like right now for instance like agriculture is a major source of pollution it is a major source of uh clear like deforestation and so i think this is there there are good ways to do synthetics and there are bad ways and it just feels like uh given the track record of the energy industry to date uh i don't feel super confident that we're going to get the good option versus the ultimately destructive one right Cool. Thanks for both clarifying that. Yeah, it's great. I, I, a lot of this stuff I knew absolutely nothing about, so it's been fun to chat about it for the past couple of weeks. Fun and terrifying. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of terrifying, you can follow us on Twitter at ShiftF1 Podcast. <laughs> I'm at Drew Scanlon. That's at Daniel Edwire and at Rob Zachney. That's us around the internet. Shall we take it around the world, Danny? One more time. Let's race around the world. Yeah. Not a whole lot going on. There is uh, nothing on my calendar. Home. There's no <laughs> racing going on. Yeah. Uh, for this weekend, although December 14th, the World Endurance Championship is at Bahrain Ooh. for their fourth round, the eight hours of Bahrain. That's. I'm surprised you can drive around Bahrain for eight hours. Probably like <laughs> it's one lap. Uh, also, as 
Previously mentioned, uh, the Asian Formula 3 Championship kicks off December 12th through the 14th in Sepang, Malaysia. Sepang. Um, and uh, I believe you can watch that on their YouTube channel. I will link that in the show notes in case you want to see uh, Jamie Chadwick tear it up. Yeah. Um, that's, uh, that's it for, for, for that and for the F1 2019 season, uh, or at least the finale thereof. Um, we will be back in, let's see, a couple weeks. Yeah. Um, to kind of do a wrap up yeah. uh, of the season, take a look back, uh, maybe answer some emails. Yeah. Um, so if that, go ahead, Danny. Yeah, sorry. If if anyone wants to, we're gonna we're not going to be here next week. Uh, the following week, we'll have a podcast up, which will be our kind of wrap up of the year. Uh, but we'd really like to sort of have the whole tri- thing driven by community, uh, uh, like emails and thoughts about w- what you thought about the year that was 2019 in F1. Was it your first season? Um, did you enjoy, Was you know, what did you think about it? Are you a veteran who's been watching for years? Where did it sort of land in, 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 in your expectation? Any drivers that you prefer or like any of the rookies you you've warmed to or any of the veterans that you've, uh, you've maybe had taken a, a colder shoulder to uh, let us know podcast us. Sorry. Shift F1 podcast at gmail.com um, or f1.cool slash emails. Uh, please send us. This is the kind of the 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 end of year um, uh, biggie for us. So if there's any, uh, if you have any thoughts about the, the season or the podcast, in fact, uh, let us know and we'll uh, bundle them all up for a fun end of year uh, uh, podcast for everyone. Yeah, and we've got certain things uh, that we'll be watching in the off season. Uh, but if you've got some interesting things, uh, that you're doing, we'd like to know about those too. Yeah, um, and then we won't be de- de- we won't be silent until the end until next year. Anyway, we will have our we'll have our usual spattering of off uh, off season news updates and preseason primers and all that, right? Yeah, exactly. So we never know when an emergency podcast will drop. Never, yeah, we never know. That's right. We had to do one last year when Ferrari got a new team principal. <laughs> so, uh, and I think we had to do one a, a couple of years ago when Nico Rosberg retired. Oh God, yeah. He just he dropped that, wasn't it? Like two weeks after he won or something. Yeah, just kind of said, "I'm done. I got to. I'm going to so, try this YouTuber thing." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now now for my real dream. <laughs> uh, but yeah, regardless, we will be back uh, probably in in January sometime with an off season news update, and then uh, yeah, our preseason stuff will start kicking off in February Ooh. for the uh, for when uh, F1 starts in March. So. Uh, look out for all of that and of course if you're a patron we will keep up uh, the monthly bonus episodes as well so Formula 1 may be going away but we're not Mm -mm. Um, but until two weeks from now uh, have a good race weekend everyone we will see (laughs) you all next time (laughs) meow